Some attorneys certainly love history. Some attorneys hate history. Some attorneys are indifferent to history. The thing to remember is that we exist and that we can really help you win that case or at least find that factual evidence to help kind of adjudicate that case. You're listening to the Legal Mastermind Podcast with your hosts, Ryan Klein and Chase Williams, the go-to podcast for learning from the experts in the legal community about effective ways to grow and manage your law firm. Today on Legal Mastermind Podcast, we have Jason H. Gart, PhD. He's the vice president, and his title is actually a historical detective, which is very interesting. We're very excited to talk to you today, Jason. So welcome to the Legal Mastermind Podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm excited to be on. And yes, I am a historical detective. So essentially, we we were talking in our pre-interview, Da Vinci Code. It's basically what you do, right? No, um, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, and Chase actually asked what I, you know, what my relationship with Tom Hanks was on the set. And no, unfortunately not. Um, but what I can say is that we do historical research, factual research for law firms, for inside and outside counsel, uh, for Fortune 100, 500 companies. And our task is to find this positive research to support their case and to win their case. And so this differs from, you know, the standard legal research that occurs within a firm. So I'd assume you guys have a, a reach for like, let's say, you know, I can only relate it to, let's say I was trying to solve a case and I had the police looking for it. And there's there's so much data that police don't have. And that's when you hire a private investigator to kind of go into like additional databases. And so referring back to the police, that's like our team using like LexisNexis and, and basic legal research. And so you're like, you're like the PI on the, on the case, essentially. We are the document PI, absolutely. And we have a licensed private investigator actually at our firm, History Associates or HAI. Um, what we do is um, different than the legal research, right? So most attorneys are very well versed in understanding um, how to do legal research, how to uh, look for statutes, how to figure out the case and the argument they need to make. Um, what we do is historical document analysis, and more importantly, searching for those historical documents in the National Archives, which is the Federal National Archives, where the Gettysburg addresses and the Constitution, but more importantly, in public records repositories, in historical societies, in uh, small museums, and also in all of these you know, electronic databases, not just obviously Google and ProQuest, but all the other different databases that might exist out there. Clients come to us um, from many different industries, aerospace, industrials, chemical, pharma, energy, certainly financial services, insurance. They may need factual research for an environmental matter. They may need it for insurance coverage matter. Um, They may need it because of you know a site history or corporate genealogy research where they're being sued and this entity they don't actually think is part of their corporate family tree. Um, they might need to do it as part of or in advance of a uh, M&A transaction. Climate research is actually a very hot topic for us right now. Slavery era disclosure research is also very, um, very big for us. Um, for us, Unfortunately, you know, we don't deal with, I I like to joke that we don't deal with a lot of um, Civil War stuff, certainly nothing relating to the Da Vinci Code. For us, history is yesterday. So it's, you know, people might have an event that occurred or a series of events that occured in 19, well, 1980s, 90s, 2000s, 
and they're trying to understand and find documents that you know can help them understand that series of events. I remember in college that there was a course you could take just on how to do research or just how to actually navigate a library. Do you feel that people just are generally not great at research or is a lot of the stuff simply not digitized or accessible? Yeah, so that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. There is. It's typically called a historical methods course or research methods course. I don't want to insult any of your listeners, but I will say that they're probably pretty horrible at library research. I will also say in defense of, of your listeners that we have sent out um, some of our researchers to the Library of Congress and the, the website was down, internet was down, and they asked if they could come home. This person worked for us a very long time ago, asked that they could come home. And we said, no, actually there's volumes on the shelf that you can actually use. It's going to be more time consuming, but you can actually do it that way. The, the benefit that we bring is that we understand both the digitized records and the analog records. And getting back to like the National Archives, right? National Archives, great movie about it um, with Nicolas Cage. Most of the, Ryan is laughing. Most was of it, those- Was it The Rock? <laughs> no, it was not. Um, most of those collections are not digitized. So the National Archives, less than 1% of the holdings of the National Archives are actually digitized. And they will probably never be digitized in our lifetimes. Um, there's just a massive amount of material there um, that is in paper format. The other challenge is finding that material. So we worked on the case on an environmental matter uh, several years ago where the uh, law firm um, was wanting to understand um, uh, the usage of a chemical that had that had been used by by the U.S. Army in World War II. Um, they had actually sent some of their associates into the National Archives to try to find uh, documents relating to that chemical. Chemical was um, polychlorinated biphenyls or PCBs, which is a, a contaminant of interest. It's uh, there's a lot of Superfund RCRA sites that deal with contamination from PCBs. They went in and did searching for documents relating to PCBs. They found nothing and they came to us and they basically said, could we redo the search? They were looking for the wrong search term. The chemical that they were searching for, PCBs, it had been invented in the 1930s, but it was originally known as chlorinated diphenyls. So wrong name in the 30s and 40s, same chemical. When we went back in with our team, um, we were actually fine find those records and contracts and things that help them mediate their case and successfully win. And what I like to say is it's the difference between aeroplane, A-E-R-O plane, which is the term of art that was used 1900s, right after you know uh, Wright Brothers, 20s, 30s. And then all of a sudden in our day, it's known as aeroplane, A-I-R-P-L-A-N-E. So even if you're using digitized uh, newspaper collections, if you're using that wrong term, you're not gonna find those records of interest. And that's where the value of those research methods come in. That's essentially what you know we were taught. And a lot of us are really experts in research methods, both digital, analog, and also oral testimony, right? Going out there and finding old timers, talking with them and photograph analysis, aerial analysis, kind of the array of source materials that might be relevant to your legal matter. So it sounds like this might be a silver bullet depending on your case. But I'm sure many of our listeners are like, hey, how much does this cost? And I know that there's a cost benefit type of analysis that you could present. So I'd be very curious to learn 
I don't want you to say exactly what's the actual cost is, but like, where's that cost benefit? So we're actually uh, cheaper than most of the attorneys that uh, we work for. I kid you not. I have been in meetings where, oh my God, I cannot believe that you historians are cheaper than it is for me to send out an associate to do this. Where our value really comes from, I think, is because we can do it much more cost effectively. So, you know, unfortunately, lots of clients come to us and say, yeah, we've tried to figure this out and we've, you know, we've gone down this road and we haven't found anything. We're looking for a government contract from the 1950s. We need your help. Or we already submitted a FOIA request and we're getting no response back. And the point is that, yeah, we, I get this. We can do it much more efficiently. We've been through these records before. We've So history associates, HAI, we've worked on probably about 1,500 different projects over the life course of our last 40 years. We definitely understand, especially in big law, there's lots of cost pressures. I think, again, the value is it's that competitive advantage. You're going to make sure you hire someone that knows what they're doing. Um, don't waste your time on things that you're probably, someone else is better served to do that for you. Um, that's where the value is. I, I will say that a lot of our clients are repeat customers. Um, we've worked with people at one and two person legal firms, legal shops for 15, you know, 15 years, 17 years. I've been at the company 15 years. I have seen the arc of the young associate that hired us, then become a partner. And now they're at the end of their career. My predecessor used to joke that, you know, a lot of these associates, we've helped me partner because, you know, we were able to find them. And we don't like to use the smoking gun because usually things are not that simple. A lot of it is, you know, piecing together the evidence, but we've actually worked on a coverage matter that was actually in the billion dollar range. So um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for the, the junior staff at our firm, people that are history majors and masters and PhDs where, the people that hire us are very sophisticated. They're going to read everything we write. They're going to look at all of our footnotes. They're going to ask us questions and engage with us. And it's, it's a really neat application of the craft. And it's very rewarding for us to do this. Out of curiosity, and this may turn into a story, but have you ever found something that was just absolutely obscure and you presented it like to potentially like uh, opposing counsel and they just look at it and say, what in the hell is this? And it like really changed the direction of the case or what you're working on? So, yes, yeah, we have. My, one of my colleagues who, who's now retired, he once uh, served as a testifying expert in a matter, and he was able to uh, reconstruct um, some contracts from the National Archives. The Department of Justice had actually, I think, said that they could not find them. He was able to find them doing this research methodology, and the judge, who was a bit elderly, had said, well, if Mr. So-and-so can find this. Why couldn't you, federal government? And Mike actually took it as a backhand compliment because Mike's like, well, you know, I'm a professional and my job is to actually figure out how to do this. Um, we have certainly been able to find dispositive top documents, things that have changed the course of several legal arguments. And, and I'll also say it goes the other way as well. And unfortunately, some of my job is spent providing bad news to our clients. Like, this is your legal argument. Here's the factual evidence. And that doesn't really support what you're hoping to argue. And our clients, again, are very sophisticated. They say that's okay, because that helps them maybe decide to mediate, to settle, to decide that this isn't something they want to pursue. So 
it does work both ways. And for the ultimate client, it's better that they know it now from us, right? Than from the opposing historian. Have you had any of those uh, national treasure type cases where you're like looking at a document and maybe, I mean, on the backhand side, the document continues or, or something like that, where like, it's just something that's pretty monumental with like a, a I don't want to say a well-known piece, piece of information, but just something that was very shocking that um, nobody really knew existed. We haven't really, unfortunately, we haven't really had those moments. Although I will say that we have, our team has been deployed into these warehouses of records, right? Where it's like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's basically, well, okay, you start on the left and I'll start on the right and I'll see you in three weeks. I will also say that a lot of my colleagues have been able to work with some really neat materials, materials that typically, you know, you would not have had a chance to look at or to see up close. I'm just, we get to see so much and I'm just always amazed by the materials we get to look at. A lot of the World War II documents, you know, you're, you're reading through materials relating to, say, activities or things, and then you bump into someone or you bump into a story that's really neat. Um, I guess I'm jaded in that I don't really, you know, to me, it, it's all fascinating. I was at a, a archive several, I guess, a month or two ago, and and another historian who I knew he was a, a well-known historian, he was working on some papers, writing a book, I guess, on a famous writer. I could see the signature, and I wanted to say, oh, could I can I, oh, this is really interesting. What are you working on? And I could not because I knew if I said that he was going to ask me what I was working on and we were going to have to have a conversation. And obviously all the work we do is privileged and confidential. So that's the one thing that's kind of, you know, certainly we don't, we're very discreet in everything we do. You mentioned in the pre-interview that there'll be times you're doing some of this research um, for a company that uh, does business or conducts business with uh, other businesses in other countries, or you might even work with someone that completely operates, you know, overseas. So what yeah. does that look like when you're not physically there all the time? Or are you? So we have consultants. We have a consultant in Germany. Um, we have a network of other researchers that that we've deployed. We've deployed people all over the globe um, to do research. Uh, certainly when the opportunity comes up and we're sending someone to London, there's usually a line of, oh, I'll, I'll take the research to London. But it, it is very neat. And, and all of these archives have different, you know, each of them have different policies. And, and we work with, you know, we, we have to work through those issues. There's language issues. Um, so we have people on staff and we have a network of people that can work through various foreign languages. We certainly are not scared off by foreign records uh, collections, and it's just, it's a lot of fun, right? And it's a lot of fun to, to work in a lot of different collections and just understand and, and see things. We've worked for sovereigns, we've worked uh, for different governments, um, and, the, and the projects are just, you know, can be really fascinating, and hopefully we've done a good job. So let's talk, um, I think we have time for probably one more story. We'd love to hear the story about the, and preface a little bit about the, the ripoff, ripoff story. You know, the, the uh, removal of the, the yes, the we'll call it the ripoff story. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of the work we do uh, deals with, as you could probably imagine, cartographic records. And uh, there are a range of different types of records, uh, city atlases, 
uh, road maps uh, or traditional maps as you might use in the 80s and 90s. Um, one important source are called uh, fire insurance maps or Sanborn fire insurance maps. These were maps that were created going back into the early 20th century. Um, they actually helped you understand the building, the construction of the building. And they were created by, as a subscription service, and they were created to help the insurance companies that provided fire insurance to understand what the building was constructed of, brick, wood, asbestos, metal, whatever. These maps were updated over time and the Sanborn map company provided the subscribers with what are called paste-ins, which they basically mailed out. If there was a, a new building built, they would send out a paste-in. Um, we dealt with a site out in the um, out in the West Coast that um, we were very interested in understanding the time on site of the, the ultimate client was understand wanted to understand the time on site at a at a piece of property, and we basically found every uh, surviving copy of the Sanborn map for that that existed. The Library of Congress has a very large collection. There's some. Um, uh, databases, some fee-based providers of Sanborn maps, digital versions. Typically, you find them in the uh, local museum or historical society. So we had four or five versions of the same map, but each of them, because of the paste-in, were a little bit different, right? Because someone might have gotten the paste-in, put it in late. Maybe they paste, they put the paste-in over the prior paste-in. There were some, what we noticed were some handwritten notations underneath the paste-in. And the outside council wanted to know if we could ask the art, and, and we were dealing with both electronic documents and then big square rectangular shaped maps, the hard copy ones. And, and these are very large documents and they, you know, 19 teens. And the attorney asked us if we could ask the archivist if we could pull off the paste-ins to potentially see what this handwritten notation was underneath the paste-in. So you all may or may not have gone into a museum or a historical society or taking your kids there. And typically they don't want you to touch anything and certainly not pull off or rip off anything. So we, we politely told our client that, no, we probably can't do that. And they're probably not even, you know, we probably shouldn't even ask that question because it's it's not a question you'd want to ask of a museum or historical society. So they posed the next question was, well, I need to see underneath this. We really need to see underneath this. How else can we do it? And that was a question I took back to my colleagues here at History Associates, HII. And um, I work with certified archivists. And uh, one of my colleagues said, well, there is some imaging technology that now exists. It was first developed or initially developed as part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And with this imaging, you can see through the various levels of the piece of paper. And so we did some research. Um, we reached out to, I think it was the British Museum, the Smithsonian, talked to our network. There's people that, you know, our spouses, I know people that work at the Smithsonian and National Archives. And, and we found someone that could travel to do it. Um, which was important. And he certainly had the capability and technology to do it. The um, person that was assigned to finding this person, because we needed to be able to find someone that could travel, he came into my office one afternoon after talking to this person on the phone and said, I got it. I found the person. And I was like, well, how does he do it? He kind of paused for a few seconds and said, I don't know, Jason. He's, it's, it's magic. 
but it really exists and it, you know, ultimately was not used because of some other issue, but, you know, our ability to kind of think outside the box and go find an imaging expert and not ask our, you know, our museum director to rip off their paste in was for us a pretty neat project. That's awesome. What a cool story. Thank you so much for your time today, Jason, and the stories you shared with our audience. Do you have any final parting words for our audience? Yeah, so the big, I guess, parting word is, you know, some attorneys certainly love history. Some attorneys hate history. Some attorneys are indifferent to history. The thing to remember is that we exist and that we can really help you win that case or at least find that factual evidence to help kind of adjudicate that case. And that, you know, don't waste your time, that there's people that, you know, have been trained to do this and that can do this in a very cost-effective manner. And that's really the value we bring to, to these law firms. Jason, for our listeners that like to get in contact with you or AI, what is the best method of contact? Yeah, so you can visit our website, www.historyassociates.com. And that's one word, historyassociates.com. And then you can also email me, jgart at historyassociates.com. And that's J-G-A-R-T at historyassociates.com. Thanks for listening to the Legal Mastermind Podcast. If you're interested in working with Ryan and Chase, please email mastermind at marketmymarket.com. Make sure to join the free mastermind group for growing and managing your firm at lawfirmmastermind.com. Ryan Klein and Chase Williams are the managing partners at Market My Market, one of the top legal marketing companies in the United States.